Welcome back to the Raw Prospect Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Emmy Nixon. Today is February the 25th, and this is episode 98 of the Raw Prospect Podcast. Joining me from Austin, Texas, as always, the stat king himself, Michael Wayne. What is up? 16 official days away from Selection Sunday. 18 days away from the first four games in Dayton to kick off the NCAA tournament. In 20 days from today, the beginning of the first round of March Madness. So today, we are going to be talking a lot of college basketball in a short, condensed period of time. Uh, Let's drop some college basketball knowledge for you guys as we ramp up towards conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament. Uh, This will be this upcoming week will be the last week of college basketball, the regular season. So we're going to talk about some of the big games and the outlook for some of these teams. Uh, And we're also going to talk about the national player of the year race. So let's start there. National player of the year race, because we have not discussed this yet this season. Emmy, do you have like a list of front runners for the award? Um, I, I have a few players in mind, but I wouldn't call it a list. It's kind of just a jumble of names right okay. now. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of players in the big 12 or no, not the big 12, the big 10, excuse me, that should be considered for the award. You have Johnny Davis, you know, uh, kid from Ohio state. What's his name? Um, Jay Liddell. Yep. Uh, Liddell. Um, and I mean, the Big Ten, if you look at it, obviously the Big 12 is the more deep conference. But if you talk about having the most players out like up there for National Player of the Year, the Big Ten probably has the most, in my opinion. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, Chet Holmgren up for consideration as well. Um, I'm struggling with names right now, but um, I'm interested to hear your takes on this because I, you know, I have names in mind, but for sure. maybe like I'll get my mind going a little bit better once I hear yours. For sure. I understand. Um, it's been a while since we've talked about individual players. We've talked about teams that can compete for national championships, and we'll continue to talk about that moving forward as we get closer to the tournament. Um, however, in terms of players right now, in my mind, for National Player of the Year, I think the front runner, whether you think he's going to win it or not, I think he'll win it as long as he doesn't get hurt, knock on wood, has to be Oscar Shibwe, the center for Kentucky. Okay? First of all, he's playing on a top five team in Kentucky that's competing for the SEC Regular season title, they still have a chance at that. Auburn's obviously out in front and leading them, and they have the head-to-head. However, Oscar Sheway has been carrying this Kentucky team. And keep in mind that Kentucky, as good as they are, and they continue to win without these two players, but they've been without their two lead guards, Ty Ty Washington and Sevier Wheeler. And so they've been able to play through Oscar Sheway down low. He does everything. Um, averaging 16.4 points and 15 rebounds per game. I'm not sure 
you know how hard that is to do in college basketball. I mean, especially in a conference like the SEC, that is other bigs like Walker Kessler uh, that you have to go up against on a night in, night out basis, averaging 16 points and 15 rebounds per game. And he's doing it on the defensive end of the floor as well. You're talking about two steals per game and one and a half blocks per game. That's not Walker Kessler defensively for Auburn, but it's pretty damn good to go along with the stats uh, that he is averaging. Um, and he also is being efficient. Uh, he knows where to hit his shots. He gets on the glass and he's shooting about 59.5% from the field. Um, and he has a fantastic offensive rating. I think he would be my player of the year. I know this isn't like MVP, but if you were to take Oscar Sheboy off of that Kentucky team, I do not think they're near as good as they are right now. Um, so Oscar Tshibwe would be my number one. Now, if I was to make a list, number two, I think I would pair Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren together. I do not think either of them will ultimately win the award. I mean, Drew Timmy won last year. I don't think he's going to go back to back. Gonzaga hasn't quite had the same amount of hype around them as they did last year. They lost two games in the non-conference. They're not undefeated. It's not that type of hype, but they're still a very good team. They're going to be a number one seed. However, I do think Timmy and Holmgren, their votes will cancel each other out. Um, they're both going to get votes, but I don't think either of them will have enough to ultimately win the award. Um, when you talk about Timmy, he's doing Drew Timmy type things. I mean, uh, he's drawing 6.2 fouls for 40 minutes, being efficient, shooting 62% from two-point range. Uh, he's not quite as good as last year in terms of efficiency, but he's still doing all the things. He's efficient in the post, can shoot a little bit, uh, is decent defensively, uh, has good numbers. You have to put him up there for the award, along with Chet Holmgren, who's made a surge as of late and it continues to just put up monster numbers. I know against weaker competition, some could say, and that, I think, what could hold him back a little bit, but... 14.4 points, 9.6 rebounds, two assists, 3.4 blocks per game. Again, that's not what Walker Kessler is doing. He's the best shot blocker in the game at Auburn, but it's pretty damn good. And he plays aggressive for a guy of his build. Um, and to go along with all that, he's got the third best true shooting percentage in the entire country, and he's shooting 44.6% from beyond the arc. Um, and he's going to go as like a top five pick in this year's draft. So I think I put those two guys at number two, even though I think neither of them will get enough votes for the award. And then this is where it gets interesting. Um, for me, when I've watched this guy, he's really impressed me as of late and he's made a surge up my list. And that's the guy you mentioned from Ohio State, EJ Liddell. This guy is a flat out pro. One of these NBA teams is going to get him like mid to late first round, and they're going to be they're going to be loving this kid. He knows how to play the game of basketball, averaging almost twenty points, uh, seven rebounds, uh, shooting fifty five point six percent from the field, knocking down almost forty percent of his three pointers, uh, and carrying this Ohio State team at times. And he is a legitimate rim protector. He's a little bit of a smaller four stretch three. Uh, but he knows how to play sound fundamental defense 
averaging about two and a half blocks per game as a guy that's a little bit undersized for his real position. Uh, but the way he's carrying this Ohio State team to what will likely be a five, six seed range in a tough conference, I think deserves a lot of love. Um, and what Ohio State's been doing lately, of course, they've gotten some big wins as of late, including uh, last night over Illinois uh, and his fellow Big Ten counterpart that could also be included in this conversation, Kofi Coburn. Um, so I would put AJ Liddell right there. And then I think we can talk about, you know, some of the dark horse sleepers that I don't ultimately think will win the award, but I'm talking about Kofi Coburn. I'm talking about Johnny Davis. And I'm talking about even the guy from Iowa. Um, I don't think Iowa has the national uh, coverage or prominence that they need uh, to get uh, Keegan Murray the award. But we're talking about a guy in Keegan Murray who's averaging 23 and a half points per game, doing the sheer amount of scoring. Uh, this is sort of like the second year in a row where Iowa's had a guy in this conversation. Last year it was Luca Garza, of course. Um, so, I mean, he leads everybody in the five power five conferences, uh, in scoring points per game. Uh, he is fantastic to watch. I've watched a couple Iowa games as of late. He can do it from anywhere. Um, I don't think outside of that, I mean, you can throw Ochai Abaji into this conversation. Um, he's playing on Kansas, they're ultimately going to be a one seed at worst, a two seed, although I think they're going to get a one seed. Uh, I think they have the resume that they need to do that. Uh, and he, as I mentioned on this podcast before, he's a do-it-all type guy. Um, so those would be – that's sort of my list as of right now. Um, that's who I think is in real contention to win the award. But in my opinion, unless he gets hurt, Oscar Sheebway will end up hoisting this award when it's all said and done. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I um, I actually had his name in mind, but it just, once we started the pod, it just completely crossed my mind, just completely went blank. <laughs> I don't know why, but um, I just think this year has been so good for college basketball. Like, I, I feel like, I don't really have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like engagement with college basketball has been a lot higher this year. Um, just the storylines around the games have been really intriguing. You, of course you have like the games like Texas and Texas tech in January, having those kind of marquee games throughout the entire season and not just late in the season and in the conference tournaments is extremely important to ruin the sport. Um, and also I just want to say that, it feels like the first time in a long time where all of our top NBA prospects are on good teams. If you think about it, uh, Jabari Smith, Auburn, um, they're, as you said, in a race with Kentucky for that SEC regular season title. Um, and then you have Chet Holmgren, who on Gonzaga, he's averaged, he's put up six blocks, 21 and 15 and six blocks last night, I think, or, or maybe a couple nights ago. So just uh, – And we also can't forget about Jaden Ivey, the guard from Purdue, uh, who's right. absolutely going to be a top six, top seven pick. Um, he's also on a damn good team in Purdue that I think could ultimately make a run 
to the final four. But with that all being said, we'll now transition. As I said at the beginning, we're trying to condense this into a 45, 40 minute episode ish. Um, so that's our player of the year discussion. Let's now transition to talking about not only some of the games, we're not going to go into the nitty gritty of these games, but just let's, let's just go conference by conference for now and talk about who we think are ultimately the best teams in each. Okay. And then we can mention okay. some of the games that are going to go on that will affect the races here as we wind down the regular season. Let's start uh, in well, let's just start with the Big Ten, since we were talking about the Big Ten a lot just now. Okay. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, who do you think – let's put it this way. Out of this conference, who could you actually see making a legit run to the Final Four? There are a lot of good teams, but who can you actually see going to the Final Four? Um – I mean, I look at a team like Ohio State, who obviously may not be like the best in the conference in terms of record right now. But when you look at it, they've been extremely solid the entire season. They haven't had like the crazy win streaks or all that flashiness or anything like that. Um, but they haven't had any bad losses. If you look at all the top teams in the country right now, most of them have had at least one bad loss. And Ohio State, they've only had. I don't think they've had any quad or no, they've had two quadrant one losses the entire year and they haven't had a loss outside of quadrant two. So they've been consistent. And I think with EJ Liddell running the offense the way he does um, and being experienced, uh, I think they could easily make a deeper run than people think. That's obviously not the first team most people would point to, but that's actually a team that I really like. Okay, that's fair enough. For me, I think the two teams I look at right away and say, okay, those teams I could definitely envision being in the Final Four. Number one is Purdue, and number two is Illinois. So let me talk about Purdue first, and then I'll hit on Illinois. Purdue has, along with Gonzaga and some of these other teams, Kentucky, Auburn, they rank one. Number one in adjusted offensive efficiency in the entire country. Number one. So they're a very good offense. They rank third in effective field goal percentage. Um, they're a very good rebounding team. They have size on the inside. And then they have the elite guard that you need in the NCAA tournament. When you need a bucket, Jaden Ivey can give it to you. Um, and then they have the two guys on the inside with Travion Williams and Zach Eady, who's just an absolute monster. Uh, comes from the planet Mars, if you will. Uh, so I look at Purdue. If you have size and then you have that elite guard play along with some shooting, I believe they're second in three-point percentage this season. They're shooting over 40% from three. Uh, and they're really efficient with their shots inside the arc as well, shooting 57% from two. That ranks top 10. And they're a good free throw shooting team. And you have that elite guard and those two elite bigs and depth. Uh, you're definitely a contender for the Final Four. The one area I worry about with Purdue is defensively. They're not a great defensive team whatsoever. Um, with the two bigs that they do play, it's very hard for them to switch. They don't have a lot of defensive ver versatility with switches. 
Uh, I do worry about that. However, I think they have enough offense ultimately to get them over the hump in the end. And then we'll talk about uh, Illinois. Um, Illinois, they're obviously spearheaded uh, by Kofi Coburn, who's one of the best players in the entire country, should be on the list, top 10 list for National Player of the Year, averaging 21 and 10. Uh, He's basically an automatic 20 and 10 if he's healthy and ready to go. Uh, They have some good guards. They're a good, well-coached team. Uh, Brad Underwood does a great job there. And they have some shooters. Uh, So I do like Illinois, another high-powered offense that's been here, done that before. Learn from their mistakes of past years. Remember uh, losing to – who was it that they lost to last year? It was uh, Loyola Chicago in the – uh, yeah, round of 32, I believe. Uh, I think their their experience, which matters, they have a good guard in Andre Curbelo who can shoot the lights out and drive and penetrate and run that pick and roll with Kofi Coburn, who's just dominant inside. There are very few bigs in the country, very few teams in the country that can match what Illinois presents on the interior with Kofi Coburn and others. And I think that's important when it comes to, to the NCAA tournament. I think they have all the ingredients. And then you talked about teams like Ohio State. I think each of the Dell's dangerous, but what I worry about with uh, Ohio State, number one, they're a little bit undersized. They don't have the size that some of these other elite teams have. And number two, uh, if EJ Liddell has an off night, which is bound to happen eventually, who do they go to? That would be my question. I do not know if I have an answer to that question as of right now. Uh, but I love EJ Liddell. I could see Ohio State making a run to the second weekend. I'm just not sure they have enough to ultimately get to the final four. But you never know. Anything can happen. That's why we love March Madness. And the last team I'll mention is Wisconsin. Very sound fundamentally. Uh, they have a top player in the country and Johnny Davis who can get a bucket anytime, anywhere. Uh, I do like their veteran presence, and their shooting on the outside. Uh, but it's the same question. If Johnny Davis has an off night, where do they go to after that? Um, so those are my four teams I ultimately look at in the Big Ten. Michigan State, it's sort of where you never want to count out uh, Tom Izzo coach teams when it comes to March, but they're, they're really struggling as of late. So I need to see more from Michigan State before I insert them into this conversation. But with that, if you don't have anything else to say, let's quickly transition to the Big 12. Um, well, I, I just want to uh, plug the, our Patreon podcast real quick. Um, yesterday, me and Michael had our debut episode of our Patreon-exclusive bonus podcast. We talked about the uh, Juwan Howard situation and all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested, uh, click the link in the description. Um, and thanks uh, for considering it. Okay. With that, let's move to the Big 12. And then we'll hit on maybe one more conference. And we'll talk a little bit about Gonzaga. And then we'll sign off. Big 12, in your opinion, which team, if any team, is best fit to make a run to the Final Four? Um, well, this, this conference is extremely deep. Um, but right off the bat, I just have to say Kansas. Um, with Abaji and all the guys that they have, um, they're extremely well coached. We know that with Bill Self, with who 
has been there, done that over and over and over again. Um, and I think they're peaking at the right time, which is key. Um, they found their way defensively. Um, and obviously they, they weren't a, a bad defensive team by any means, but they've picked it up to another level, in my opinion, over these last few games um, that I've watched from them. Um, and it's been really impressive. So I think um, with the way they defend and the shot creation that they have throughout their roster, um, I think right off the bat, I have to go with Kansas. And then the other team, um, obviously I can't count out Baylor, but the other team that I like from this conference a lot, um, especially just their, their style of play is Texas Tech. Um, just their, their defensive IQ throughout the roster and their defensive attentiveness, that really bodes well to deep tournament runs because you got to be able to win a game when your shot's not falling. And Texas Tech has shown the, the ability to do that over and over and over again. Um, and I think people are underrating the talent that they have on the team. Just because they lost Chris Beard doesn't mean uh, they can't go far. So those are the, those are the teams that are on my mind. I would ultimately have to agree with you. Let me start with who I think is actually the best best team in the Big 12. I do think Texas Tech is better than Kansas. Let me tell you why. Number one, defensively. They're by far uh, number one in the country in terms of defensive efficiency. Um, only allowing uh, 85.8 points per 100 possessions. That's elite in terms of college basketball. Uh, and you think of Texas Tech, the past couple of years, you think, well, they've already been a great defensive team. They haven't really had that explosive offense. Uh, in fact, at some points in time, the offense has been not very good. Well, this year it's different. They have a bunch of options. They have versatility. Um, and they're actually a top 50 offense in terms of uh, adjusted efficiency. Um, so I do like Texas Tech. They have an identity. And when you look, when you dig down deep and you look at their lineup, number one, they have depth. This is what I love about this team, right? On the interior, you have undersized. They play a little bit of small ball with O'Banner at the four, six, eight, 235, and Bryson Williams at the five, six, eight, 240. And then you obviously have Terrence Shannon, the ultra-athletic small forward, uh, six, six, 215 at the small forward position. They are a little small, and that is my concern. Um, if they match up with a bigger team that will expose them on the interior, I do worry a little bit. But after that, if one of these guys were to get in foul trouble, O'Banner, Williams, well, now you have experience coming off that bench. You have a senior, Marco Santos Silva, who's been there, done that, been on a national championship run uh, to come off the bench and back up Williams or O'Banner. You have uh, Kevin McCuller, Jr., uh, who's been on this team for years, knows the system, uh, 6'7". He can come in and play. They have depth on the interior if they do get in foul trouble. And I love their guards. Adonis Arms, learn the name. He's a really good point guard. They play smart. They're well coached. Uh, and Davion Ward, when he's hot, man, you don't want to see him. Uh, so I love their athleticism. I like the way they play. They have an established identity, and they have depth and experience. I love all those things. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think Mark Adams should win 
national coach of the year. I mean, you're talking about a team that was taken from unranked, projected to finish in the bottom half of the Big 12 at the beginning of the season, and now they're a top 10 team in the country looking to possibly get a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. They have that type of resume. Uh, So I would go Texas Tech. And then, as you mentioned, Kansas. Of course, we can't count out Baylor, but they're not fully healthy. I do think losing Jonathan Chamachach was eventually going to come back to bite them in the ass, even though it hasn't yet. And LJ Cryer, um, who their best player, has also been out. So I need to see him come back and play a couple games before I know what that looks like. I know at the beginning of the season they were undefeated when they had their full roster. They're still very good. Scott True's a great coach, but I need to see it more uh, to consider Baylor a team that can make a run to the Final Four. And it's hard to get back to the Final Four uh, in a consecutive season. It's just, it just is, uh, as it is in any sport, to get back to the championship game in consecutive years. Uh, but Kansas – There's nothing else more to be said than what you said. Well coached by Bill Self. They have two great wing scoring options, which is definitely a key ingredient. Um, But the thing that I think separates Texas Tech and um, Kansas is, number one, uh, the inconsistency of the interior play. I think O'Banner and McCuller and those guys – give you a lot more consistent production than a guy like uh, uh, David McCormick has so far. And number two, the depth. I'm not a huge lover of what Kansas has coming off of their bench. I mean, Mitch Lightfoot is a nice player, but other than that, I'm not real sure. I need to see more from Jalen Wilson before I can say that Kansas is really good, like one of those elite teams that can really – uh, I still believe they can go because they're Kansas, but they're going to need night in, night out, great production from Abaji and Christian Braun to ultimately get there. It'd be nice if they had that third guy in uh, the transfer from Arizona State. I'm blanking on his name right now, who's been hurt. Uh, but ultimately, I do think Kansas is a threat. And you can't forget about Texas. I know they're not great to watch. I know it's been tough. But, I mean, look, they're sitting here at 28. They have a ton of experience. Um, they're a well-coached, still well-coached team. They play defense. And when, when you can get that consistent production, uh, a locked-in Marcus Carr is key. And Timmy Allen, if he's been doing what he's been doing lately and he can carry that into the NCAA tournament with his off-ball movement, and Ramey and Jones can keep producing the way they are, they'll be dangerous as well. However, I still don't see them going all the way to the final four. Um, So with that, those are definitely the top four teams in the Big 12. They've sort of separated themselves from the next tier. Uh, But I definitely think as of right now, I'd say Kansas and Texas Tech are the two teams that I think can definitely make a run to the final four. So with that, we'll wrap up this episode with talking about a little bit about um, uh, what conference you want to wrap this up with, or you just want to talk about other teams that you think in general could be threat. Uh, Let's just, let's just hit on some of the other teams. Okay. Um, I want to hear what you think about what the Arkansas Razorbacks have been doing recently. Arkansas, they are surging. Um, 
huge game tomorrow. We're recording this Friday, February 25th. Huge game tomorrow, Saturday, February 26th, 1 p.m. Hosting Kentucky. Huge game. Huge. Um, they have one of the best point guards in the country, J.D. Note. If you have not heard of him, learn his name. He is a baller. Um, they have athletic wings, and they're very sound defensively. Eric Musselman's a great coach, and I do think that they are a threat to not only get to the second weekend, but maybe they're that four or five seed that ultimately gets to the final four this year. I, I really think the way they play defense, if they shoot the ball well, you know, they tend to be a little bit inconsistent from three-point range. But if they're on with J.D. Note and some of the other guys that they have, uh, they're a very dangerous team, a team to look out for. They're not Auburn, I don't think. They're, I just still don't think they're Kentucky. Uh, however, we're going to see tomorrow. If they come out and they beat Kentucky pretty soundly, uh, or they even beat Kentucky at home, uh, they're going to make a statement to the entire nation. And I think they have arrived. Uh, it, was, it was a little rocky at the beginning of the season, but J.D. Note, they have that elite experience point guard that you need and that we've seen on different teams of pass that ultimately make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. And they have a great coach, Eric Musselman. So that's my take on Arkansas. I, I would say right now, they're probably the third best team in the SEC. Right. And that and that's a pretty impressive feat considering how they started the year. And you know, I had the I had my eye on them to start the year, uh, since they made a pretty a pretty deep run last year. I think it was sweet 16, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I, I had my eye on them to start the year, and then they started out so rocky. I was like, wow, okay. And then here they are, right back up at the top of the conference, near the top of the conference. So they are uh, we'll see what happens really- tomorrow. They are playing really well right now. However, it was that stretch in like mid-December, early January that's really going to kill them when it comes to seeding. Uh, a loss to Oklahoma at home, a loss to Hofstra at home, a uh, loss to Mississippi State and Vanderbilt at home. That's really going to kill them in terms of where they can potentially seed unless they win the SEC tournament, which could happen. But I think though that stretch right there, they're going to look back at that, and that could hurt them in, some, in terms of some of the matchups that, you know, could be presented in the NCAA tournament and where they're seated. But as of lately, ever since Jan- mid-January, I mean, they have win over a very good LSU team, who I say is the fourth or fifth best team in the SEC, a win over Auburn, um, a win over West Virginia, a win over Florida, a win over Tennessee, a close loss at Alabama. Um, so that's really their only loss since January 12th. Uh, so they're playing really good basketball right now. And as I said, J.D. Note, experienced coach, and they're inside the top 15 in terms of defensive efficiency. Um, so look out for uh, look out for Arkansas. Um, let's talk about – and then we can wrap this up. Let's talk about the Pac-12 real quick, and then we can wrap it up. Um, Do you have any thoughts on the Pac-12? I know Arizona is kind of running away with it at this point. Do you have any thoughts on them in particular or what UCLA has been doing as of late? They've been kind of falling off. 
any thoughts on the Pac-12? Um, well, I'm going to be honest. I haven't watched Arizona play much at all. Um, their games are pretty late. So, uh, But I will say this. I mean, they're on a nine-game winning streak, so it's hard to not um, see what they're doing and be like, okay, like I see you over there. Um, but the team that I've had my eye on all year out of the Pac-12 is obviously UCLA, the team that was in the game of the – I'm not going to say game of the decade, but game of the year, game of the tournament last year um, against Gonzaga. Um, so I, I'm a little bit surprised they're not higher. Um, obviously, they're falling off a little bit recently, but um, – I don't know. I expected a little bit more out of, uh, you know, Johnny Chuzang coming back for another season. Um, they have some experienced guys, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit weird to see them falling off lately. Yeah. To wrap up this episode, I just want to give you my thoughts on both uh, UCLA and Arizona. Uh, I'll say this about Arizona. I do think they're solidified as a number one seed. I do not foresee them losing again here in the regular season tomorrow. They should be Colorado at home. Uh, their toughest game left is a, a road game um, on Tuesday at USC, but I do think they can win that. Um, and then Stanford and California, those should be relatively easy Ws. They're going to finish with uh, probably a 28-2 record, be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And I love uh, the way that they play. They're one of the only teams in the country to rank in the top 10 in both offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. They are really well coached. Um, they ranked eighth in offensive efficiency. They have an elite offense and an elite defense. It's not often you see that. You often see either a team that's really good, like elite offensively and not so great defensively, or you see an elite defensive team that's not so great offensively. But this team has both ingredients, which I think is unique about them. Um, and I love what they have in terms of roster composition. Um, they're a little young. I do worry about that. You don't typically see a team that's starting, uh, I think it's four freshmen, uh, ultimately make a run in the NCAA tournament. However, um, they do have some experience coming off the bench. Um, and I do like what they have on the inside. They can match up with some of those other teams that have elite bigs and elite size on the interior. Christian Coloco is fantastic. The center standing over 7-1, the sophomore, um, he's fantastic. Uh, and then I do like what they have at the point guard and shooting guard position, specifically the shooting guard position and Benedict Matherin, fantastic shooter, has size, versatility. Um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of Arizona. I don't know if they can win it all because, as I mentioned, experience ultimately matters when you get later into the tournament. However, you never know. When you have an elite offense and an elite defense and you have a bunch of different options that you can go to and you're well coached, you never know what can happen. Uh, I think right. they've separated themselves as the best team in the Pac-12. They're going to win the Pac-12 regular season title as long as nothing – Crazy happens over the next couple of games. And I do think as long as they're locked in and clicked in uh, on both ends of the floor, they will win the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, and then UCLA, 
it's been hard as of late. They've had some injuries, specifically to um, Johnny Juzang, which hasn't helped. Uh, but I still think Mick Cronin will figure out a way to get this team playing well come the NCAA tournament. They made a run last year. I'm not sure they can get all the way back there, but they have the shooting and they have the necessary ingredients. They have the experience to get there. It's just been sort of inconsistent as of late, um, but it's okay. I would not hit the panic button on UCLA, even though they've lost a couple games as of late. Um, they still, in my opinion, have most of the ingredients that you need to make a run. When you have a player as good as Johnny Juzang, as long as he's healthy, you always have a chance. Um, so that would be my take on the Pac-12. And then obviously, and other notes, just to finish this out, Gonzaga, they're Gonzaga. They're going to fly through the rest of the season, probably win the, the conference tournament. They're going to be probably the top overall seed, if not the second overall seed in the tournament. Uh, and then you have the ACC, a team like Duke, still has a ton of talent. They're a little young, but – if they're on, they're going to be a tough out as well. Coach K in his final season, motivated to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. But other than that, I can't think of too much else. Can you? Um, yeah, no. I um, I think there's not really much to, we can say about, um, like, in terms of uh, mid-majors right now. I mean, I don't really know much about them, but um, – I guess it would be interesting to see what how uh, Loyola Chicago is doing, but we'll, we'll talk about that maybe on a different podcast in terms of teams that might make upsets um, out of those mid-major schools. Uh, but I think that's going to do it if you don't have anything else to say. Yeah. So in terms of what to look out for real quick on the Raw Prospect podcast front uh, here coming up, Monday or Tuesday – we're going to have episode 99 and you'll see what that's going to consist of at a later date when we actually release it. But we're going to be talking a lot of NFL. We have a new series that we're going to be doing uh, that will continue through the next couple of podcasts aside from episode 100, um, uh, where we're going to basically be doing, putting our GM hats on and talking and going division by division. We'll do two divisions per episode talking about, what each team needs to do in the offseason, their cap space, the free agents, free agents they should look for, holes they need to fill, and draft needs. Uh, so that will be fun. Uh, and then next weekend, most likely, we will have a guest on, uh, and we will be doing episode 100. I don't know what's in store for that yet, but be on the lookout for that. That's going to be a special episode, uh, a special exactly. milestone as well. But with that, that's all I have to say. Make sure, as Emmy said, to like and subscribe. Uh, hit the, Leave us a five-star rating and review. Uh, enjoy this podcast, and we'll be back to talk college basketball. Um, not this next week, but the week after, where conference tournaments will begin. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, conference tournaments, and then the big dance, and then we have the Masters, and all through – hopefully the start of baseball season, but we'll see about that. Um, but with that, that's going to do it for episode 98. Thanks for listening. Um, Michael, go ahead and send us off. Yeah. So um, I guess just like the chances of MLB starting their season on time, 
as of what I'm hearing right now, we are going, going, gone. Peace out. Peace.
Yeah, and you know, I think of that uh, picture that they had preseason, uh, the one that they took with Rajon Rondo, Carmel Anthony, LeBron, Russell Westbrook, um, Anthony Davis, and I was just thinking, like, this team would have been insane in 2013, um, but, you know, it's not 2013 anymore, um, and uh, you know, before we move on, I, I just want to throw this proposition at you. Um, I'm not saying this will happen. It's very unlikely to happen, but I just think it's an interesting conversation. So if you're the Lakers uh, and you're offered John Wall for Russell Westbrook, would you do it? Um, Russell Westbrook and a pick, probably. Um, he is, presumably, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough, but... I would definitely entertain it um, just because I just think John Wall, he's not as athletic as he used to be, obviously, but I just think he would provide a little bit more stability at the point guard spot. Um, and he would do what they were looking for Russell Westbrook to do, which is provide the playmaking uh, for when LeBron doesn't want to be on the ball. Uh, so it's worth considering, but I, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, it's just a little bit too outlandish, I think, uh, considering John Wall is, I mean, 32, 33 years old. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting conversation, but let's move on here. Right. Right, right.
Well, I, I look at it this way. Um, I think if they're able to draw the right bracket, there's a chance they could make it to the Western Conference Finals. But if I'm being more realistic, I think second round would be a really uh, – I think they would be happy with second round in hindsight if they were to go out in the second round and be competitive in a series in the second round. Um, but if you're looking at it right now, uh, they would be playing the Nuggets if the playoffs were to start today. And, you know, uh, we don't talk about this. We haven't talked about this a lot, but the trade that they made in the offseason, um, they were really uh, – ridiculed for it at the time obviously trading Jonas Valanciunas for Steven Adams but um, it looks a lot better now when you look at uh, say if they match up with a Nuggets team you know I like putting Steven Adams on him over you know uh, what a lot of other teams are able to throw at Nikola Jokic you know his his strength in the post and you know his ability to contest those shots and whatever the case may be. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think they're missing Dylan Brooks right now. Who's a huge piece for them. A guy who can uh, defend at an extremely high level and is a really streaky shooter as well. Um, so if you throw him back into the rotation, you take out some of the minutes from Jared Culver, who's um Let's be honest, he's not the most proficient NBA player out there. Um, and boom, their, their guard rotation ends up being extremely um, capable, in my opinion. John Morant, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Tyus Jones, you know, some really, really talented guys in there who, who are able to score when needed. And um, I just like that this group was able to find shooting and you know i just really think the grizzlies are the model for other teams rebuilds
Right, exactly. Um, so with that, we will move on to the next question, which is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, so our question is, are the Timberwolves, are the Timberwolves um, playoff material? Um, well, I'll go ahead and start here. To me, the answer is yes, definitely. Um, you know, Anthony Edwards has taken a huge step forward with his shooting. He's been borderline elite as a catch-and-shoot uh, guy this year. Obviously, he hasn't been as good on his off-the-dribble threes, but, you know, you can live with that. Uh, and I think what you've been able to do on the defensive end of the floor is what's really telling. Obviously, coming into the year, we had our questions about his team's ability to defend at a high level. And, you know, I've really loved what they've done, particularly uh, with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Um, not historically the greatest defenders in the world, but uh, Towns, he's been uh, uh, hedging on a lot of screens and recovering. Um, and that's really helped his ability to defend. Uh, I think that really fits his skill set. And then D'Angelo Russell, who they basically have playing free safety out there, yelling out coverages, calling out screens, basically in the center of the floor, uh, or what you would call the nail, which is the area just above the free throw line. Um, so he's just standing there basically playing free safety, um, calling out everything. And because of that, they've turned into a very, very good defensive team. And I think Chris Finch is definitely in the conversation for Coach of the Year as well. I think you froze up on us. Yeah. On to the next one. Um, okay. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. So our question for them is, Will the lack of facilitating hurt the Philadelphia 76ers, um, particularly with their guards, uh, their ball handlers, or a lack thereof? Um, so currently, their guard rotation um, in their starting lineup consists of Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry, um, who, you know, as complementary scores, I think are – more than capable and are really good. 
you know, but uh, in terms of being able to run their offense to the highest degree, um, they're not as equipped into to play that role. Uh, so it's worth mentioning, you know, and I think if you look at maybe trading Ben Simmons, that's probably the thing that you're going to want to find uh, in return for him. Uh, so that's worth considering. Uh, and it did come out today. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but uh, it did come out today that um, there has been talks about a Ben Simmons for James Harden deal, who obviously um, would be a great playmaker. Uh, so, but answering the question though, to get to the point, will it hurt them as it stands right now? Yes, but I'm going to leave this question at TBD to be determined uh, because the trade deadline has to pass. And I think they're going to try to find somebody to fill that role. Maybe trading for like a George Hill, uh, uh, a George Hill who at the moment isn't even getting any minutes for the Milwaukee Bucks or even like a Goran Dragic. Intense. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, it's, it's a combination of things. Um, I think the, the luster of having this 
cool new coach, um, player friendly coach um, in Nate McMillan, um, that's kind of worn off a little bit. And I think um, the defensive intensity and the defensive awareness hasn't been nearly as good as last year. And, um, you know, offensively, when I watch them, it seems like the chemistry is just not quite right. You know, there's been reports about John Collins not being happy with his role in the offense. Um, and there's different things like that rolling around um, in the rumor mill. But to put it simply, uh, it, the offense just doesn't flow that well. A lot of times you see them like make a couple of passes and then they just jack up a three or, you know, pick and roll with Trey Young and, you know, Trey Young being the like offensive savant that he is oftentimes will create a good shot. But I think offensively they've for one become far too reliant on Trey Young and defensively have developed some bad habits uh, just in terms of uh, protecting the paint and also um, just being aware on rotations, just, the fundamentals.
Right. And, you know, seeing them go on this huge charge, I can't help but think of that rant I had in, in what was it, November, about how the regular season doesn't matter too much. But that's another conversation for another day. Um, for now, we'll move right along to the home stretch of the podcast um, with the final segment of the day. And that is obviously the James Harden conversation. So specifically, will Philadelphia, uh, with Philadelphia reportedly pursuing James Harden, would it be a good fit? Um, I'll let you start it off. Um, well, I'll say this, um, James Harden hasn't been quite as good this year, which is, you know, a little cause for concern, but I think it's also the fit in Brooklyn isn't really that great. Um, and you know, he's never really been an off ball mover. So when he's off the ball, he's just kind of standing around and, it seems like a uncomfortable fit, um, but in moving to Philly, um, immediately put the ball in his hands. You let him run the offense, uh, a team that has quite a bit of shooting, uh, obviously with Seth Curry and uh, Tobias Harris. Um, I think it would work. Um, you know, I do have questions about James Harden's defense. He's having, one of the worst defensive seasons he's had in years. Um, but, I, but I also think some of that is just lack of focus. And I think that intensity would be picked up if his morale was higher and his, uh, his um, offensive involvement was higher, I guess. Because a lot of times when you get the guy, when you give a guy like that the ball and you have them run the offense, um, they're more engaged in the flow of the game, uh, and it will correlate to more success.
Um, well, the similar answer is yes. Um, obviously, the one player that pops into my head is Chris Middleton. I didn't have on my list, but, you know, there, there's a lot of all-star talent in this league. And, you know, Chris Middleton is a guy who just won a championship and has that reputation and has that kind of um, thing. He's at the point in his career where uh, all-star tallies matter to his legacy and that kind of thing. So I think maybe the players and coaches wanted to reward him for his consistency over the past few years. Um, but whatever the case may be, I think it's obvious he's an all-star level player, so it's not really a problem. Um, and I don't see anything too egregious on either reserve team. Uh, but one thing that I do think is interesting is the conversation of who will replace Draymond Green in the West. Um, because there's been some conversation on Twitter that it should be DeJounte Murray, but um, I think it actually has to be a forward. So that kind of changes things. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, right. Right.
Peace out.